Welcome to another podcast by RTV Warriors, number 201. Not as big of a milestone as last week. 51 more than you, Canada. Now we're tied with Argentina, apparently. So uh, I am your host, Logan Saunders, and join me, as ever, is a guy who doesn't know whether to puke, laugh, or cry, Michael Harmstone. That is a very natural reaction for this season already. I've heard Brent McSweeney's already vomited three times, uh, uh, and the first episode is only aired. <laughs> you mean Sean? Sean, yes. I always mix the two up. All, all McSweeney's look alike. And they're just Sweeney's, I think. I don't think they were McSweeney's. So apart from that... McSweeney would be a very Canadian last name. <laughs> but it would also be wrong. It would also be wrong, yes. That, that is true. But yeah, v- vomiting at Kenneth and Ryan's presence and laughing at the casual fans already turning on Kenneth and Ryan and crying at the fact we've still got to cover at least ten more episodes of this. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to be more positive about this episode, definitely. Yeah, don't be so negative, Michael. That was kind of funny. For those who don't know, uh, we did get a response for some somebody who said they shut off our podcast because we were too negative last week. And then after the episode... They proceeded to talk about how much they hated the episode. I mean, we did we did give them a fair warning. I mean, we don't want to say I told you so, but n- now now I feel like our podcast last week in terms of content was justified. Not like just in Timberlake's album justified, but just justified in general. Yeah, I was slightly smug when I saw that. The the fact that not only had we had our first complaint in a long while other than Wayne saying, why do you keep telling us about the locations? But an actual complaint saying someone had switched it off because we're so negative. And then you look on their Reddit account and actually they're, they didn't like the episode. They were more negative than we were. They really were. They were negative about our podcast and they were negative about this episode. So this season has not started off well for them. They're such a negative person. <laughs> Oh, the irony. So we start off in Signal Hill um, in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, We get a pretty boring spiel about it being Canada's 150th and how Newfoundland and Labrador gets its own little tourism boost with saying that it's been shaped by the power of nature for a quadrillion years. And it only took, I timed it, it only took them 31 seconds of running time to mention that it was Canada's 150th. And then they said, uh, Monty said there was 10 teams from quote-unquote across Canada, but really it's just four provinces, as the casual fans love to point out, which is kind of hilarious, considering the other six provinces and three territories were completely ignored this season. And is there anything you really have to say about the team intros, Michael? Because I don't have too many notes about it. As a non-Canadian, I really couldn't give less of a toss about Canada 150. (laughs) <laughs> at all. It's like, bully for you, you're 150 years old. Do you know how old the UK is? Just a tad bit older. It's like we're an infant and you guys are a Methuselah. Yeah, I have the same argument whenever I hear Americans talk about how old their country is. And it's just like, you're not that old. You're actually one of the younger countries. You're closer to South Sudan than you are to us. And it, it made me laugh when I was in Epcot for 4th of July in 2013, because on Spaceship Earth, the big symbol of Epcot, they do project as you're leaving, like, happy 226th birthday to uh, America. And it's just like, you're not even that old. Mm-hmm. You're a child of a country. You're a child. Now sit on the naughty step. 
Speaking of childs, we have uh, Kenneth and Ryan on this season. Oh, God. And I did do a little project, because surprisingly, I do, uh, in university, I did study Canadian film and television, and uh, FUBAR was briefly discussed. And I have watched the first 25 minutes of FUBAR, because I guess that's where the whole giver notion comes from. And, yeah, it's not a very good film. And because somebody had to do it, I am going to keep a running total of how many times the word giver comes up. As much as it makes me involuntarily shudder every time I hear it on screen. And how many times was giver uttered in this first episode, Michael? It was 14. 14? 14, I believe. It was either 14 or 15. I I thought it was 15, but my notes only say it was 14. I thought it was going to be closer to 20, but uh, 14 and about, what, 40 minutes of running time spread between John Montgomery, the intro, and 10 teams total? There was three in five seconds. Yes, that was in the taxi, right, with giver, 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 which sounds like something you'd hear in, like, I don't know, a Calgary porno or something, I don't know. Way to bring the tone down, Logan. (laughs) And we we also learned, thanks to Dan and Rhea, that uh, millennials aren't lazy, they're just different. They just don't know what a tightrope is. Yeah, as two technically millennials sitting here, you guys aren't representative of us, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of funny that uh, in the their, we mentioned last week that their uh, preseason video took them two seconds to mention that they are that they have a YouTube channel and that their top video has 14 million views. Um, it was pretty much the same in terms of the season premiere where I was mentioned within the first 10 seconds, I think. I'm going to slightly defend them here. In their defense, I think those intro videos were actually taken from the videos that were online. Because Adam and Andrea's one was at least had the first 10 seconds from their online video as well. Okay. Yeah, the bit with Adam and Andrea bickering over their respective uh, sort of outlooks on life was also in their online video I saw. Do you think Andrea is indeed the good child? I think so, yeah. She's the Elijah Wood and Adam is the Macaulay Culkin of the two? Adam is very Macaulay Culkin, actually. I think, actually, Megan and Courtney mentioned Macaulay Culkin uh, in their intro uh, in the premiere. I don't remember them doing, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think it was just a uh, horribly uh, interpreted uh, Newfie slang, because uh, they were talking about jigging, wh- uh, which, uh, you know, probably gets Will Smith's interest. And then they, they said a phrase that sounded a lot like uh, Macaulay Culkin, so I don't know exactly what they said. Spoilers for the rest of the season, by the way. I uh, I still love Adam and Andrea. They are still by far my favourites. They're the only team left who I really actually like now. Mm-hmm. So Kenneth and Ryan are not your favourites, just to make that clear. And I think they stole Mickey and Pete's uh, leopard print Speedos for their intro, too. What on earth was that bathing suit? That was like something Debbie from Survival would wear. Yeah, it's kind of, it's just weird that they just refuse to be themselves on the season. It's just constantly quoting a 2002 independent Canadian film and then taking material from uh, the winners of the second season of Amazing Race Canada. They're just copycats, they really are. They're so un-Canadian and so unoriginal. Yeah, as unoriginal as Dan and Rhea's fart joke in uh, their intro. I do think we need to get a reaction video of Dan and Rhea reacting to Kurt and Shelley's video as well. Why is that? Reactionception, obviously. I thought, like, Kurt and Shelley said something really negative about Dan and Rhea. Oh no, I only watched, like, four seconds of Kurt and Shelley's video. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Love you, Kurt and Shelley. (laughs) And we uh, get to our stars, who will only be our stars for this episode, which is the real Teal Deal Holyfield, in terms of Aaron and Deb. 
<laughs> so many they they reused all their puns from the intro. They front loaded the great teams so much because we had Adam and Andrea and then Aaron and Deb, aka the only two teams we liked in the preview. Also, I do have to call them out slightly on stealing our pun because they did say they put the fun in the funeral, which was the name of our Amazing Race 29 episodes 9 and 10 recap. Oh yeah, so we need some royalties from them. Just putting it out there, we did make that reference first, I'm afraid. <laughs> we the first. And we also get the other Andrea of Andrea and Ebony. They met on the catwalk, and they realized modeling wasn't for them, mainly because I think Ebony finished eighth place on Canada's Next Top Model, and they had started off started their own Costa Rican yoga fitness retreat. And still zero mentions of Andrea being an actress. Yes. <laughs> um, and they probably have the least intimidating beast mode pose ever. They're like, we're going to go beast mode! <laughs> and of course, Caleb, Caleb Reynolds are just sitting at home, lusting for them already. <laughs> yes, Caleb. Good old Caleb. Before he fainted. And just to make me despise Megan and Courtney even more, they specifically say they're excited to travel for Canada's 150th. Yeah, they were gaining a lot of points with their unique personality in the intro, and then they drop a Canada 150 reference. Damn it! Just when they were on the verge of eclipsing Adam and Andrea in terms of my favorite. Then we had Zed and Shabir, which sounds like something, a beer that John Montgomery would brew. And a lot of jokes at Shabir's expense. Yeah, in their bio, they basically made out that Shabir had literally only just gone into remission for cancer. It was six years ago. Oh, six years, so even before the first season of Amazing Race Canada aired. Yeah, they mentioned this time it was six years ago. What the hell? They made him sound like a Mel White figure, and actually, he's been in remission for a while. From people I know that have had cancer and whatnot, yeah, that's a pretty long time to be be in a good state in terms of treating the condition. Um, oh yeah, and then the last team to be introduced, Sam and Paul, and they are so competitive that they fight over Thai food versus pizza. Wow, this is... Man, just imagine what happens when they start discussing politics. And they say that Sam is so hot-headed, and it's not even because of his hair colour. Yes. He's so hot-headed that it's still hot-headed, even though he's in Newfoundland. And, according to Monty, Amazing Race Canada is Canada's favourite summertime adventure. Well, I mean, when there's no other summertime adventures to watch on Canadian television... It wins by default. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's only because there is literally fuck all else up. <laughs> it is Canada's only summertime adventure. It's Canada's most desperate summertime adventure. Besides last weekend, where there was live music, a huge softball tournament, and parties every night. And I would walk in 20 minutes of the opposite direction of where my house actually was. Because of how much the part, how much how much partying there was going on. That's Logan's favorite summertime adventure. <laughs> yes, I almost walked t- to Kelowna instead of my house here in Vernon. And I'm and Vernon's the only town in BC that isn't on fire right now. My uh, cousins, my aunts, and my uncles, a bunch of them, have indeed been evacuated from the various places around BC, especially when a province of emergency was declared yesterday or the day before. Like right now. All of my aunts and uncles and cousins, a bunch of them, have been evacuated because of all the fires here around BC. Vernon's pretty much the only town that isn't on fire right now. And this all started to happen after the preview for the Fort McMurray episode was released, so I assume it's Alberta just 
gain re- revenge on BC two years after the fact. Does this mean that ne- next year we're going to get a, a leg in the area surrounding Vernon where people have to do firefighting tasks? Yeah, they're going to have a firefighting task in a 100-mile house because that is the only way Amazing Race Canada will ever get to a 100-mile house and my uncle and my cousin can be the pit stop greeters. But yeah, that's the, less, that's the lesson, really. That's a good point, Michael. For any pyromaniacs out there, you don't know how much longer Amazing Race Canada is going to be going on for, just start a fire and, you know, you're going to get an episode filmed there sometime next year. I mean... None of us thought last year that Fort McMurray would be a uh, a location, but here we are, staring down the barrel of potentially the most boring leg ever on Amazing Race. Good old patriotism, Canada 150! And once all the teams are introduced, we do get the full intro, which is nice. And it's my once-a-season report on who does the iconic head turns. It's quite a lot this season, actually. We've got quite a few of them. Whose heads returned during this intro, Michael? We had Zed and Shabir. We had a full body turn from Megan and Courtney. We had Kenneth and Ryan Ooh. Uh, we had an iconic one from Aaron and Deb and Dan and Rhea also. Half the teams. 50%. That's a passing grade. It is. Half the teams for the first time in a long while actually did the head turns. So that's one good thing that I'll say about this season. See, I'm being more positive already. And Chevrolet, once again, being one of the few reasons why Maison Race Canada has any sort of budget. No no, no black and white uh, clips from Mentos this year, though, unfortunately. And we get uh, racers in between uh, Monty's introduction to signaling the start of the race on Signal Hill. Mainly because that intro was definitely not dubbed. <laughs> the yes. audio quality was horrific. <laughs> I'm guessing that the weather's not too reliable, because it was a really windy day. And we get the BMO card, no Interac or Scotiabank either. No, but we do get the announcement that one of the prizes is a trip around the world, which would definitely not excite the Volta Mussolinis. Yeah, Gino and Jesse would be like, fuck this, we're not going to be on this season, invite us for season four instead. Amazing Race uh, Canada, in its Canada 150 year, should have given a trip for two around Canada. No, a trip around Sudbury. (laughs) Did did we mention in the preview that Sam off of Paul is from Sudbury? I can't remember. What? He is? Yeah, I found out that he is actually originally from Sudbury, which explains so much. Oh, man. No, what? He, he used to live in Sudbury. Yeah, he's managed to escape and got to Toronto now. He broke free from the chains. And uh, for some reason, uh, during the Morse code task, uh, Megan closes her eyes to try and complete the task. She really tries to channel her inner lull. And Shabir, because he's the oldest guy, is presumed to know Morse code. Yeah, he he isn't old enough to know Morse code, apparently. It's close. Well, I wish there was some somebody in the cast who didn't know Morse code. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, this is this is the primary way I communicate with my friends and family. You know, I'm I'm uh, Samuel Morse and Alexander Graham Bell's great descendants. I would put money on Megan and Courtney being the ones to know Morse code purely because there is nothing else in their town. Yes. They're only excited to travel for Canada's 150th because they've literally never left Newfoundland. Get <laughs> some funny guesses as to what the message could be. Courtney's guess was, hello, can you hear me? We, we haven't even mentioned what the task is. We can tell that Logan's hosting this, can't we? <laughs> oh, yes. The first task, for, because I'm new to this hosting gig, 
the first task when teams open their clue in Signal Hill is to decode a message in Morse code. And that's all it is, yeah. It's the what it was was it just based off the signals or did they or was it a written message that they decoded? No, it was just based off the the sounds. Oh, okay. And then they had like the translation board written down, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so we get some funny guesses. Kenneth's guess is apparently he's been watching too much Sesame Street and thinks the answer is the letter S. In other words, no people are just taking complete wild guesses. And I learned that the top five teams who all got the answer at roughly the same time uh, used locals to do the puzzle for them. And this was unaired, but this was actually the first Canada 150 task of the season. Is every task just going to be a Canada 150 task? Because I don't know how later on there's that tightrope task, and I don't know how that qualifies as Canada 150. Logan, it's going to become a recurring joke that every single task is a Canada 150 task, just to warn you. <laughs> I am going to perpetuate the living bejesus out of this myth. <laughs> and to keep up tradition for the fourth season premiere in five seasons, a team takes a penalty in the opening episode. And not just the opening episode, for this t- this go-around, the very first task, Andrew and Ebony take a penalty on the Morse code task. I'm assuming that you wouldn't have taken a penalty. I wouldn't have, no. Especially because... Um, when I was younger, I used to play online survivor games, and we did have Morse code challenges a few times. So I think I would have gotten the hang of this. Just just from prior experience, I don't think Andrea and Ebony really had much of a shot at figuring out this challenge on their own, simply because if your life is spent modeling and doing yoga, you're not going to be doing uh, games and overall competitive stuff. They just probably don't have the mind for it. So, especially within the Mason race where a lot of tasks, people use locals to help figure out the tougher ones for them, or I think Andrea and Ebony's minds are so far away from the minds required to do well at the Mason Race Canada that they couldn't come up with the creative uh, counterattack to get through this challenge. All right. So, what do you think about Andrea and Ebony taking the penalty? Uh, I mean, it's deeply ironic given that Monty gave an interview two days before the season began saying that, criticising Shamir for wanting to take a penalty on the punching the window task, and saying that there's no quitters in this cast, and then literally ten minutes into the episode, Andrew and Ebony quit. But it's a strategic decision, it didn't pay off for them, necessarily, but they were quick enough at the rest of the leg that it didn't actually matter that much. They took the penalty, so they were able to get on the first flight, which probably is the only reason why they weren't eliminated. It gave them enough of a buffer that uh, the trailing teams uh, that checked in the pit stop in Vancouver didn't survive. Yeah, if you're going to take a penalty, maybe the first task of the season isn't a bad one to take it on, if you know that there's going to be probably multiple flights that you can then get a jump on the rest of the people for. Yeah, it's not like some of the other seasons where every single leg starts with everyone on the same flight and taking a penalty 90% of the time is pretty much a death sentence. And within about 30 seconds of Monty saying, make Canada proud when he sets them off, we've already had two givers as well. <laughs> giver, giver, giver. Oh, oh, oh. I just love how my notes basically read like one of your Tarstorian blogs right now because it's just giver, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
And then Ebony said, no one is going to get this Morse code task. It's just impossible. And then all nine other teams, including Aaron and Deb, got it. Yeah, but they did it with probably a lot of help from the other teams. Yeah, I did hear that the everyone who was on the first play with Andrew and Ebony got together and also used locals to all solve it at roughly the same time. If you were going to look at all these teams and pick which two you wanted to be in the final leg with, you'd probably pick Dan and Rhea and Megan and Courtney. So people are probably going to be helping Dan and Rhea just to keep them along to make their lives easier. Yeah, I think those two teams are going to get a lot of help, and I think uh, Karen and Bert will be a team that will find a lot of allies along the way. So once teams uh, complete the Morse code task or quit like Andrea and Ebony, they have to take one or two flights to Vancouver and head by taxi to the Capilano Suspension Bridge and find a falconer who has their next clue. And they have $600 for this leg of the race, and each flight can only take five teams. $600? How do they pay for a flight for $600, Michael? Ah, <laughs> uh, I've missed the casual fans. But yeah, somebody did complain about how teams were able to stretch the $600 for this leg of the race. Right, what What do they think that the product placement uh, cards are for? Do they think it's just like a medal for getting through one task? Yes. Oh, and uh, when Kenneth completed the Morris Code task, he said uh, he had a leg up on the other teams, which made Redmond very sad. Yeah, I miss Redmond. Redmond's fun. And Adam said that there's two places he wanted to go. One was the East Coast, and the other was the West Coast, and he gets to do both of them on the first leg. Is Adam going to be really pissed with the other ten legs? Oh, Adam's going to hate the fact that they're leaving the country after next week. Ugh. It's going to be the worst. Yes. Adam has now gone to the West Coast and the East Coast, one of which has already been used three times in the span of four and one-eleventh seasons. Yeah. Have we had confirmation that it's 11 legs, by the way? Because I'm not sure. I've heard that it might be 12. I think it's 11. It might be prolonging the agony. I really hope it's not 12, knowing this season. Um, and uh, who's all on the first flight? We got Kenneth and Ryan, uh, Sam and Paul, Adam and Andrea, uh, uh, Andrea and Ebony, and... Zed and Shabir. So then it should be a radio team. Okay, so they're all on the first flight. Then the other five teams are on the second flight. Oh, and Kenneth and Ryan, of course, brag that the West Coast is the best coast, which is true. West Coast is worst coast. You're from no coast, so why do you, why are you invested? Because I like disagreeing with you. It's fun. I see. And then Megan and Courtney did not say that the West Coast is the worst coast. They think that uh, the West Coast is the East Coast. Or that Newfoundland is the center of uh, center of Canada. So they're just really confused geographically right now. Yeah, they have no idea where they are. <laughs> at all. Yeah. Vancouver? I haven't heard of that. <laughs> I guess Europe is almost closer to them than Vancouver would be, come to think of it. Yeah, yeah, it is. But yeah, what do you think? Is there even a reason to brag that's like, oh, the first leg, they traveled all the way from Newfoundland to Vancouver. Oh my god. No, it's just coast to coast and, you know... The bragging that they're doing the entirety of Canada for for everyone. It's just like no one gives a damn. <laughs> Try traveling somewhere, please. And Megan and Courtney get their first bit of culture shock when they go through the airport doors, and the doors aren't very automatic. 
I must admit, as much as they do slightly irritate me, I loved that so much. <laughs> the semi-automatic doors. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the the NRA is for the semi-automatic doors to remain in place. I had so much of a giggle when <laughs> with them nearly face planning. Oh yeah, <laughs> on the bicycle. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Goofy newbies. Cla- classic Megan and Courtney. Uh, and Frankie uh, Gastler's relative from season four is one of the clue givers because it's uh, everyone, after they get the clue at the suspension bridge, has to find Jack Gastler. Yeah. She probably is related. Yeah. And nothing really happens until, uh, yeah, the Gastown thing, pretty much nothing happens there. Uh, once they get to Gastown, it's a roadblock. Who's who is sailing? Who's feeling uptight? Who's feeling uptight? Why did I write down sailing? My God, I was not invested in this episode. Who's feeling uptight? Where it's a Canada 150 challenge. No, the um, second Canada. The second Canada 150 challenge, <laughs> where teams must go across a tightrope at the Vancouver uh, Fairmount Hotel, and if they can successfully cross the tightrope without falling. They receive their next clue. And just something to point out, I did notice on Reddit someone saying, a Fairmont a sponsor? Fairmont are a covert sponsor. They have been for a few years. In fact, we pointed out on this podcast for the premiere of Amazing Race Canada 3, where the start line was directly outside of Fairmont property, and also they were credited as um, being a like hotel provider. Yeah, and nothing says Canada like Fairmount, so they got to be in on the Canada 150 celebration. Yeah, I mean, every single task this season is a Canada 150 challenge, so what can I say? You know who isn't going to be sponsored to stay at a Vancouver Fairmount hotel? I think Karen and Bert may have trouble with uh, finding a room there. Yeah, especially if they go to the wrong one. Yes. <laughs> the worry that I have is that are they going to make the Canada 150 task the memory challenge? Oh, that's a good point. Because if we get one per episode, or one official one per episode, despite the fact that every task is a Canada 150 task, we know what next week's one is. I've got a horrible feeling it's going to be Canada 150 tasks for a memory challenge. It'll be the biggest regret they have this season. One of many. And there's really, well, uh, Andrea and Ebony kind of recover from playing in first place because... They know they could be very, very screwed if they do not hustle for the rest of this leg. Yeah. Now it's not the time to break into calm yoga. Now's now is the time to get into beast mode. It's crunch time for them. Yeah, it's uh, it's Ebony, Paul, Ryan, Shabir, Megan, Deb, Ivana, Adam, Dan, and Bert doing this roadblock. Yes, and we should point out that Aaron and Deb, if the whole funeral thing business goes under, goes six feet under in the next few years. They they do have a shot at being uh, mimes. Dying, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, please somebody work it out. <laughs> and um, on that note, you should totally watch the most recent season of Belgian Mole, given that they had a task involving completely that, guessing each other's professions. Oh. With, with dire consequences for somebody. If you guess the funeral director's job wrong, were you buried alive? Basically, they were brought to an air. There was eleven people brought to an aeroplane hangar in a um, in the back of a car, and in front of them was a, a screen from uh, with a message from the host saying, "In front of you is a big red button. You've got one minute to press it. 
if anyone presses it, the first five people who press it get onto that plane straight away. And out of the remaining six people, one person will go straight home. If nobody presses it, you all get to go straight uh, to South Africa right now. Oh, and you'll get 5,000 euros for the kitty. And if somebody pressed it, then the remaining people had to guess what the last person to go in the plane's uh, profession was. The person who um, pressed the button the the quickest when the profession appeared on the screen was the next person to go on the plane. Was it a Belgium 150 task? It was indeed a Belgium 150 task. That was a great season, by the way. You really should watch it. It's awesome. Um, Speaking of Belgium, they're going to probably break off into two countries, eh? Are they? That's the rumor. Out of all, I was watching a video online that said top ten countries most likely to split in the next uh, twenty years or something like that. And Belgium, I think, made it up to number two because they have those two uh, distinct uh, regions, Flanders and that other one, Wallonia. Yes, apparently they're going to break into two countries, supposedly. Yeah, I believe it when I see it. And of course, we get our first real cringeworthy quote of the season, where Dan asks, "What's a tightrope?" Right, and I know Dan is young, but he's only a year younger than me. How the living hell do you not know what a tightrope is? Have you ever been to a circus? He's spending too much time on Snapchat, and clearly didn't get out all that much. Just a moron. (laughs) It's one episode. We we don't have enough data yet. He starts asking, like, I don't know, who Samuel L. Jackson is, or, you know, what's an MP... Then I'm really going to start to worry. Yeah, what's a candelabra? What's a candelabra? Yes, exactly. And this task also gives us our ninth giver of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I was the king of the resigned sigh on the preview, and now Logan is adopting it too. <laughs> Kenneth and Ryan. You know, Aaron and Deb are the undertakers, and Kenneth and Ryan are the givers of sighs. <laughs> It's a, it's a giver and undertaker relationship, and I really hope we see the day where Aaron and Deb get to bury uh, Kenneth and Ryan in Grand Forks. And yeah, Andrew and Ebony leave in first with Kenneth and Ryan in second, and it's a surprise detour, which is pedal or paddle. And in pedal, teams must complete two bike polo training drills to get their next clue, and in paddle, teams must join a dragon boat crew, and while one, one member paddles, the other must direct the crew around a course to get their next clue. I should jump in, and it should take up a third of our time, but would you have done the roadblock? 88% of people say they would have. Uh, I think that probably would have been a roadblock you'd have been doing, (laughs) given that my balance is utterly, utterly shite. I only give you 500 race play points for that response, Michael. Oh, and what do imaginary race play points make? I don't know, a trip to Sudbury. Wrong, the correct answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing, absolutely nothing, stupid. Fun fact, race play points were actually uh, borrowed from whose line is it anyway? (laughs) Yes, they were. So which detour would you have chosen? Well, considering I don't really know how to ride a bike yet, I'm going to have to go with paddle. (laughs) Neither did most of these teams. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially the newfies. (laughs) Given some of the impressive pratfalls. That was the highlight of the episode for me. Just, you know, just... Boom! Boom! That was worse than Tom fainting at the end of Survivor New Zealand. I thought Tom's face plant at the end of the Boz challenge was bad, but man, right on the pavement. Oh yeah, and then of course, Kenneth and Ryan, after they're done the roadblock, they get the episode title for this for this 150th celebration. I have no idea what that episode title means. 
who wants to be the python i don't know if it's a reference to monty python or another independent film that's complete shit i don't know but uh have you seen the um the episode title for next week um we didn't start the fire it's something like dude stop stepping on my hose oh that's gonna be another kenneth and ryan quote yeah it's a terrible one and they seem to be wanting to push kenneth and ryan on us because as i mentioned to you in the press images there were i think it was 34 images that were released before the episode they added an extra nine five of which were kenneth and ryan themed they obviously want to make us love Kenneth and Ryan, which which means that they're probably going to win and I'm going to get really depressed. Yeah, if Kenneth and Ryan win, I mean, as if Kevin winning Big Brother Canada wasn't bad enough after a string of pretty good winners. And then, you know, here we have Amazing Race Canada where you have Gino and Jesse win and then here we could have Kenneth and Ryan being like the main stars and also win the season. My God. Yeah, I'm just... I'm over the season. <laughs> and it's only one episode in, so this is going to be fantastic. Um, because I'm sure the other teams probably did a lot of hilarious stuff that we would have loved to see this episode. Like, uh, for instance, Adam did a, like a, a butt wiggle across the tightrope. And what's funny is that a butt wiggle was one of the most controversial things of this episode because the casual fans were pissed off that he did not walk across the tightrope. Yeah, he bisected his balls while he does a tightrope in tights. I think that's punishment enough. And had his sister mock him on a, so- on a secret scene afterwards. Yes. And that is why I love Adam and Andrea already. Go love Quebec. They are already starting to just sort of snipe at each other, even in a sort of sibling love way. I think they're nice and fun. <laughs> and Andrea and Ebony are already lined up to be train wrecks, as well as, I think, Megan and Courtney... Could be one of my favorite teams if they just back off feeling the Canada 150 movement just a little bit. Because that was some pretty hilarious stuff they brought about. And just, like, when Dane and Amanda represented Newfoundland, they did so in a way that just because they were police officers too and stuff and taking everything so seriously that it didn't come across too much on screen except when, you know, they were, except when Dane and Amanda were freaking out over the Spanish language. But uh, Megan and Courtney are just embracing the whole, yeah, we, you know, we're just kind of from the middle of nowhere and have no life experience whatsoever. Bigger question, do you think by the end of the season that Kenneth and Ryan will dethrone Gino and Jesse as our least favourite Amazing Race Canada team? With Gino and Jesse, it's like they weren't, they, I mean, they were mildly douchey and just really boring. Yes, but with Gino and Jesse, at least they were themselves. But with Kenneth and Ryan, they're just copycatting a bunch of things they've seen on TV and then just shout at the top of their lungs about everything and just going out of their way to irritate and annoy everybody else as much as possible and then also embrace the Canada 150 theme that I think if they continue at the rate that they're currently at, as not just the worst winners in Amazing Race Canada history, because Gino and Jesse already are like our least favorite teams in all of Amazing Race Canada. So that means if they're the worst winners ever, that means they're also the worst team ever. And I think at this, if they keep up this pace for another 10 weeks, they're going to get that title hands down. I don't think it's really going to be close. I agree as well. It's like, just be yourselves, guys. I think they are very tryhardy. Yes. Which does not bode well. And uh, 
Ivana's crossing of the tightrope was kind of amusing, and and at least that strategy did work out since it did, since she was successful on her first attempt. So it's uh, Andrew and Ebony leaving in first with Kenneth and Ryan in second, and then Megan and Courtney in third, Co- uh, Corey and Ivana in fourth, Adam and Andrea fifth. Sam and Paul 6th, Zed and Shabiria 7th, uh, and then it is... Who left in 8th? I just haven't got that written down. Uh, Shabir was a runner-up to Megan and Courtney's face plant because the way he fell off the tightrope a couple of times was pretty hilarious. He did like a side flip off of it. It was very acrobatic. It was impressive. Um, and then uh, once Deb gets frustrated with the roadblock... Uh, she starts sucking her nails, and she starts to get dizzy and nauseous, and you realize, oh man, I really, like, we we needed the non-elimination legs to be early to keep Aaron and Deb in the race longer, but you, we didn't realize just how early those non-elimination legs needed to happen. Yeah, and for the record, just like with the Normandy leg, there's no way there's a, they're eliminating anyone next week, is there? No. They couldn't do that to anyone, eliminating them in in beautiful Fort McMurray that nobody had heard of until last year. <laughs> yes. And, uh, surprisingly, at the dra- at the paddle detour with the dragon boats, nobody has dragon blood. No, Ivanoff of Hilda would have been in his element there. Yes. He would have been so intimidating, just, just folding his arms and, you know, just using that intense stare to make everyone paddle as fast as they can. I love how this is our second podcast in a row of mentioning Ivan off of Hilda. <laughs> yes. Well, because he was pretty good. Ivan, I mean, Masonry Seisha 4 was a strong season. They had rich. They had the original Richards. Who made, the original Richards made jokes about birth control during the season. I don't think anybody else, any other team in an English language season of Amazing Race has ever made jokes about birth control. We've mentioned Ivan and Hilda more on this podcast this season already than Sharla and Nabila. And they are our go-to comparison for anything Canadian. <laughs> um, and we get our next What Is This uh, segment of this episode with Paul asking, What's Polo? But it, would, it was more of a, What's Polo? Like, you can, you can, like, he could picture it in his head, but he doesn't know exactly how it plays out. Not just like what's polo like? Is it a pencil or a, you know or a, a glow? See if if my partner had asked that, I would have turned around and gone, "Isn't that a disease that affects your spine?" Yes. That they've kind of got rid of. Isn't that. that what got FDR in the end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I'm a mean person. <laughs> and so yes, the detour bike polo with. Dragon boating. Um, did Andrew and Ebony choose this boating, or oh no, that was Megan and Courtney who switched from the boats to the bikes. They did paddle. They did. They did boating. Ebony loves her all loves all types of boating. Yeah, and it it is another Canada 150 task, given that uh, Canadians cannot pronounce the word about and say we're going to do a boat. Yes. Um, and did you notice that when the Detour finished for Kenneth and Ryan that they were louder than the siren. Louder than the siren. Why am I not surprised? And of course they read it's time to go to the pit stop. It's a garden hedge maze, which I know this hedge maze 
not from physically being there, but because there is a fan version of the Amazing Race called the Amazing Hunt, and it's yes spelled H U N T, and it ran about ten years ago. I don't think it still goes to this day, but it ran for a, a few years. So the Amazing Race Canada budget is so thin that they're copying pit stop locations fan version of the amazing race that was made 10 years ago yep teams have to find the center of the hedge maze at van dusen botanical garden the pit stop for this lego race the last team to check in may be eliminated the funniest thing about vancouver with all the businesses and stuff that are involved is that they always post to the amazing race canada official facebook page right after the episode airs and they say oh this place was featured on the amazing race canada please book you know please come here today Well, the even better thing is, you know as well as I do, that every location that is visited has paid to be visited. Especially this leg. This leg, every every I don't I don't think the Fort McMurray locations really have the money to waste Canada production to visit them. But definitely in Vancouver, all of these locations definitely put money into uh, into uh, getting attention on TV. Because the Van Dusen Botanical Gardens was on the credits as being a presenting sponsor. This oh, they were, eh? Yeah. I always watch out for this sort of stuff, because it's hilarious. So they only went to Vancouver just because all this money lured them to Vancouver. That's how you get to be visited three times in five seasons. And the even funnier thing to this is that when they flew to Vancouver, I remember everyone from like RFF and everything thinking, oh, they're going to Vancouver, that's a good sign, because that'll mean international travel. Wrong! <laughs> yes. Because they flew all the way from Vancouver to probably Calgary and got them to drive to Fort McMurray because it's not big enough to have an airport. Um, For team number one, it's not Kenneth and Ryan, but according to Don Montgomery, team giver as team number one and the whole world cries from coast to coast to coast. I will defend Monty to the ends of the earth, but Monty has lost a shit ton of goodwill with me for calling them team giver. That is not their name. Unless he was being sarcastic, like, Oh, Team Giver! You're Team Number One! You get to go to Logan's favourite city on the planet, Barcelona! That is even more egregious than a team being called Joey Fitness and Danny. Playtime and Big Easy. I think Joey Fitness and Danny is, is even worse, because you've got to bear in mind, in the lower third, Fitness was in inverted commas. <laughs> I think it hurt Phil to have to say Joey Fitness for seven times or whatever it was. More than it hurt them, but hurt him to have to say Flight Time and Big Easy 30 times. And of course, with the Barcelona shots that we see, it, it's a spot I've been to multiple times as they stand in front of the Las Rada Familia to get their footage of Barcelona. There is literally nothing else in Barcelona apart from the Sagrada Familia and the Tomatina Festival. No, 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 no. I went to Barcelona multiple times while I was in Europe, and I found more than enough to do each day. I have to criticise Barcelona purely because I know how much you love it. And we have to have balance on this podcast. Um, Andrew and Ebony, when they finish the detour in second place, they get the Chet and Cord insulting cowboy music. Yes, they do, which means they're going to lose, humiliatingly. And uh, I'm not sure if this was in your version of the episode, Michael, but uh, you know how Cory and Ivana refer to themselves as pandas? Yeah. As Team Panda? Well, one of the advertisements that pops up on screen during the episode is an advertisement of a panda. Is this a hidden clue like the mole? Do Cory and Ivana win? 
It did not appear in my coffee. You're probably too easy eating the oatmeal. Yeah. Or maybe an apple. Or maybe my lunch when I was watching The Amazing Race uh, Canada was from McDonald's. Whilst reading Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Because William Shakespeare was indeed a scoundrel. Oh, and Bert's at the detour. He goes full-on Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger and uses the gun show to get across. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was Karen and Bert who left eighth. I've just realised I did have that written down. And then it was Dan and Rhea leaving in ninth with Dan ripping his leggings and Aaron and Deb leaving in last. After Deb got a little pep talk from her son. Yes. And uh, Michelle also asked me to um, to compare Shabir to Shamir because uh, Shabir didn't complain when he was swinging from a harness by his balls. It's tough to compare the two when Shabir looks like a cross between Ty from Survivor and Mahatma Gandhi. And Megan and Courtney then um, commit the the one failure that you can have on the Michelle Pierce Denovan rules of switching a detour because she hates it. Aaron and Deb nearly survived this leg, from what we see. So close. I would have loved this season if it could have basically been the story of how Aaron and Deb survive every leg by the skin of their teeth. That would be awesome. Well, it's like, really? Kenneth and Ryan are first, and pretty much my two favourite teams are in the bottom two? This could not go any worse. Yeah, and we do end the episode with 14 givers for some reason. Like, once would have been alright, but there were 14, at least. And I'm not re-watching the episode to count them again. Yeah, and then Andrew and Ebony arrive in second. Of course, it's not really second since they have a two-hour penalty. Do you think the penalties for active route info should be uh, jumped up to three hours? They should be immediately eliminated, on the spot by Monty. No matter what. No No mercy. They get kicked in the face. They should have to do an extra task, which is getting the shit beaten out of them by every single member of production before they can check it. I'm just picturing John Montgomery just wailing on them. Take that! Take that! Take that! Take that! I'm a mean drunk! Monty's Fight Club is is officially a rule now. (laughs) What's the first rule of Monty's Fight Club? You don't talk about Fight Club, guys! Give her! Give her! Give her in the face! I think Monty's Fight Club is probably now going to be the episode title. The second rule is we don't talk about me being a ginger. It's a touchy subject, guys. The third rule is we talk about how Shabir looks like a skeleton, which is my sport, the skeleton. I'm a skeletor. I'm a skeletor, guys. Shabir, don't you dare compete in the Olympics and take away my fame. Fourth rule of Monty's Fight Club is that He-Man can appear at any time. And um, that does then leave Corey and Ivana to check in in second, with Adam and Andrea checking in in third, but really first in our hearts. Uh, Sam and Paul checking in fourth, and then Zed and Shabir checking in fifth. Karen and Bert in sixth, Andrea and Ebony finally wait out that penalty in seventh, and then Dan and Rhea checking in eighth. They smell by the cologne. They use their sniffers. They are the sniffer dog team. Yes. And then Megan and Courtney checking in ninth, leaving Aaron and Deb to be last, and sadly eliminated. The sixth rule of Fight Club is you must lather yourself in cologne. Canada 150! Smells like maple syrup! Smells like Canada! Smells like poutine! Anyways, um, of course, uh, who was it? Karen and Bert compliment John Montgomery on looking like a beautiful man, and Aaron refused to be eliminated in the province that he looks. Yeah, if teams can 
can only get eliminated in the province that they lived. Wouldn't that mean that Gino and Jesse got eliminated every single leg of Amazing Race Canada 3? Yes. So, next time, teams... Oh, wait, 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 wait. I think I had one other note that I didn't get to. Um, I've got a great joke coming here. Get on with it. Oh, yeah, this, like, really wasn't meant for Aaron and Deb, or... I don't think Deb was really meant for any tasks on this race, because... She wasn't comfortable with riding a bicycle. Just to, And then, of course, the tightrope challenge. Uh, she was dead last. So they were they were doomed to go first more than we originally thought. Yeah. I mean, like, they're not on Charla and Nabila levels of being completely useless, but they're, they're still not Max and Elias levels either. Yeah. And anything else? Oh yeah, I love how the suspense they built up for who would be eliminated is if Megan and Courtney could get lost in a two-minute maze. It's like, I know Team Newfie is, you know, has some funny little blunders along the way, but I don't think they're going to get lost in a hedge maze to the point that uh, Aaron and Deb survive. Living in a small Newfoundland town, they've never seen hedges before. They've never even played Sonic the Hedgehog. They're just mesmerized by, um, by the idea of not just hedges, but a maze made of them. So... Next time, teams head to the bustling metropolis of Fort McMurray, and there's helicopters, guns, firefighting, and congratulations, Amazing Race Canada. You've come up with the worst twist ever created in the history of the Amazing Race in all 71 seasons. Oh, no, the Triple Express Pass. My God. Right. I know that you like to joke that Amazing Race Canada producers listen to Amazing Race Canada is supposed to be good and fun. Our Amazing Race Canada retrospective that we did at the end of the full season last year. I know you like to joke that they listened to it and completely ignored everything we said. But for the love of God stop with the express passes. They really want a moment with the express passes that they clearly haven't received in the first four seasons. It's getting to the point where you might as well just give every team an express pass and say have fun guys. If you looked to Amazing Race 29, they had one Express Pass which had zero relevance on the season. That is how the Express Pass should be every single time. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Unless you're Andrew and Ebony, then and there's lots of buts, apparently. But for the l- love of everything holy, stop it with introducing Express Passes, and on a terrible-looking challenge as well. Because Amazing Race Asia, they... Did they have any Express Passes this last nope. season? they had zero Express Pass. And then Amazing Race uh, 29, they just had it randomly hidden in a suitcase, and it had to be by the end of the fifth leg, I think? Yeah, it, was, it had to be used by the end of the fifth leg. And that was it. Like, clearly, the American version, the Asian version, have finally clued in and realized, okay, the Express Passes, I think there's only been is it one, 1.5 relevant uses in the entire... I don't know, 20 plus seasons that it's been a part of internationally. Just bear in mind, in the last year of Amazing Race, we've covered three seasons. There has been one Express Pass that has even appeared. That's even been used, and it was just a throwaway use. Yeah, and that was Frankie and Amy using it on the biplane challenge. Yeah, it didn't even matter. That's, that's what a lot of the Express Passes are, is that it doesn't even matter. And then now we have, and now especially with Amazing Race Vietnam last year, where the Express Pass has gone completely unused. I think even Amazing Race China had an unused Express Pass recently. And Amazing Race Canada last year had an unused Express Pass. Yeah. It's just an utterly pointless, useless, awful twist. 
that needs to be sent to the long grass immediately. And I would even take Amazing Race Canada only having one Express Pass next season, if they do get a next season. Because I, I'm wholeheartedly advocating them not getting a next season for now. Yeah, it was a bad premiere, the next week is looking not so good. And I notice even the casual fans aren't really too stoked about the season. Usually it's pretty split in terms of the reaction of, oh, we loved it and stuff. But uh, I've never seen an all-male team get this much hate by the end of the first episode. And there's a lot of people saying that they weren't really able to get behind a team to root for as of yet. Amazing Race Canada needs to be sent to the long grass for a few years to think about what they've done, (laughs) is the honest answer. They need to go away, think about it, come back strong. Because every season since Amazing Race Canada 2 has been worse than the last. It's because what they relied on last season was the amazing casting which kept us intrigued from start to start a passable season. We, We loved the casting last season. This season, the casting isn't quite as strong, and then everything they're doing about this season is worse than what they did last year, so it's so it's just coming off as it being much, much, much weaker than a previous installment where we gave them a lot of forgiveness for it. Yeah, we have got past the point of actually ignoring their ignorance now. This is going to be the season where we 100% call out their bullshit. And that is a warning to anyone involved in production. If this season is terrible, we will tell you it's terrible now. Because I don't think we've really been this negative about a season out of all the seasons that we've podcasted about over the past few years. No, 24 was the last one that we were overwhelmingly negative about. Yeah, season 24, and that's considered to be the worst season globally ever. So, I mean, that was justified, but... I don't think we were even that negative on 24 compared to Canada 5 so far. No, I think we were. <laughs> With that linear first leg, we were very, very negative on Amazing Race 24. So anyways, yeah, hopefully, I mean, next week things want to improve, so next podcast is going to be fun, but hopefully after that we have better things to say. Yeah. Um. So do you think it's to clear who the strong teams are and who the weak teams are by this point, Michael? Yeah, I think we can pretty much guarantee who's going to be the final five left. All the teams that were on that first flight other than Andrew and Ebony? Pretty much, yeah. I think probably sub in Karen and Burke because they're going to get helped along. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of... Uh, and especially when a lot, of, a lot of the strong teams align together at the first task. So it's kind of bad news for everybody else when the strong teams stick together, which actually has been the same case for the past couple seasons of Amazing Race Canada where the the strong help out the strong, and then the weak just die off along the way. Well, I guess Amazing Race 28 was like that, too. <laughs> and um, did you see that there was a bonus video released on the website this week with Monty's top five moments from the first four seasons? Yes, I did. Did you see what they were? <laughs> they were really random ones. <laughs> what were they again? They were... Well, I, I wasn't able to watch this, but I worked it out from the screen cap. So it looked like it was Sabrina's jumping at the water challenge. It was uh, about Opie. Opie. Was it Opie? It looked yeah, like... Insp- Opie being inspirational because he didn't know how to swim. That was number five. Yeah, it was Never Give Up Nicole. Yep, that was the other one. The Get Fit and Fuck Off challenge. Uh, wasn't No, that wasn't specifically mentioned. It was it was the pit stop, one of the pit stop greeters who was, a first, who was First Nations. It was the rooftop from Vancouver, like in episode two or episode... I think in episode two, 
It was the pit stop greeter. Yeah, because that was Vancouver. Yeah, episode two, pit stop greeter. Uh, the Volta Mussolini is winning the first leg. No, it wasn't really that. It was more about Monty gaining opportunities to go to around all the sports arenas across Canada. So he's he was from Winnipeg, so or not Russell, Manitoba, I should say. So he got to be in the Winnipeg arena for one that for the hockey challenge, and then being in the Air Canada Center. So it was more about him being a sports nut. And the Normandy visit. Yeah, which deserves to be number one. Yeah, that, that's what I mean about Amazing Race Canada 2 being a great season, and the rest of them sort of petering out. And we had some listener questions as well. Oh yeah, let's get to that. So Spencer says, how many more express passes does the show need before it's good? The answer is minus three. I agree. A show should never have to rely on an express pass causing drama. Uh, Kurt asks, would you rather fight 100 Express Pass sized Montes or one Monty sized Express Pass? Well, 100 Express Pass. Was it, is it a, which one has no no actual Express Passes? It was 100 Express Pass sized Montes or one Monty sized Express Pass? I guess the 100 Express Pass sized Montes. See, I think it'd be more cathartic to, um, to fight the Monty sized Express Pass because I'd be able to set it on fire and watch it burn. Oh, then it would be off... So this fight would take place in Fort McMurray, then? Yeah. And um, Spencer also asks, will Logan attend the Amazing Race Canada finale party, and who will inappropriately hug him? I think I'm already in... Every time the Amazing Race Canada finale uh, gets filmed, in terms of like the reunion show and the viewing party, I guess. I guess it's just the reunion show where they all watch it together for the Canadian version. It's usually... It always takes place the weekend that I'm in uh, Vancouver, because they film it out in Toronto. So I know last year that's why I wasn't able to meet up with Frankie and Amy. They were in Toronto. They, were, they filmed the the reunion show and the viewing of the finale several days before it airs on TV. I love how um, Spencer's making it podcast canon, the uh, the people hugging you randomly at the Amazing Race 29 finale party, by the way. Because I've not mentioned that on the podcast yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Redmond uh, gave me a few awkward hugs because that's what you told him to do. We even filmed a video of him hugging me. We mentioned the um, the Amazing Race 29 finale party last week, but um, one thing we didn't actually mention was the fact that in the process of me saying, can you keep an eye on him because he's going to be rat I also may have arranged with a few of the racers to just repeatedly hug Logan whenever they saw him. Just to creep him out a little bit. And Redmond apparently took it quite literally. Five times, I think it happened. And then <laughs> I out-awkward him, because I, I wouldn't let go of the hug. <laughs> He's like, okay, that's enough, Logan. I knew Redmond would be the most up for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is a, a question from some weirdo called Logan Saunders, who said, why did I make us podcast about this season? Yeah, why did we? And that is a question I've been asking myself for a while. Why Why are we still covering this season? But then again, we don't give up on seasons. Never give up. Hashtag never give up Yattencast. And um, final question from Kurt, who said, Do you think Amazing Race Canada should have had a team from each province or territory, considering it's the 150th, like casual fans are saying? Also, what exactly is wrong with Manitoba? Uh, the first part of the question, no, they should have done a 13-leg season and literally not done any international travel and just visited one place from each of the provinces and territories. If they were going, if they're really embracing this whole Canon 150 theme, then if you're going to do that, then you got to have a team from each province. Maybe have like 10 teams and one team to represent the territories. I think they could have very easily done that. Because there's a couple teams this season that I don't think should have even been cast. And they were a couple of the 
Wars, which people complain about, get too much representation. Kenneth and Ryan. Yes. And what exactly is wrong with Murderous Manitoba? Uh, what is wrong? I think the question is, what is right with Murderous Manitoba? Correct. I'm going to apologise to John Montgomery, but there is a reason that Manitoba is nicknamed Murderous Manitoba. Just putting it out there. Is that because of Monty's Fight Club? That is indeed because of Monty's Fight Club. <laughs> like it when I've started, guys. <laughs> Rule 7 of the Fight Club it has got to take place in Murderous Manitoba. Rule 8 is no shivs. I have a horrible feeling that Monty's Fight Club is going to become a recurring thing. Well, considering next week we're going to try and pretend that next week doesn't even happen. Right, your your challenge is you have to come up with as many Monty's Fight Club rules for the ne- for the remaining ten legs as as appearances of the word giver. Are you guys ready for a face-off? <laughs> so, for example, if Kenneth and Ryan say giver 14 times next week, you have to come up with 14 different rules for Monty's Fight Club. Oh, one rule per giver. I can yeah. I can handle that. A rule per giver. That that's your uh, your challenge for the season now. Actually, that's a bit excessive. Let's go one rule per two givers, and we have to round down. Well, we came up with seven actually, so yeah. I think that otherwise it's a bit overboard. It'd be like having I don't know three express passes given out in one episode. <sighs> don't remind me. I'm gonna be very annoyed next week. I know I am because it looks like a terrible task that they're doing to win those express passes. How dare you diss Fort McMurray, Michael? Fort McMurray was a punchline last season when we didn't even know they were going there. One person who is going to be really devastated not to go there, though, is uh, Deb, because she loves death. On that note, thank (laughs) you for listening to our second Amazing Race Canada podcast for the season. Only ten more to go. Only ten more to go. You can follow me at LogSuperKawaki on Twitter, and we're also on Facebook and whatnot, and you can follow... Michael Harmstone at MJ Harmstone. Peace out and chill till the next episode. From us, please stay away from Monty's murderous tools. Here's Johnny. <laughs>